May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my God and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, there's plenty coming up at St Matthew's in the next little while, and I'm hoping we'll have a slide up there with some church news on it. There it is, there it is. A few dates for your diary, and one of them's coming up very soon. The, the next uh, women's prayer m- uh, morning uh, will be on on Saturday. With a 7.30 start Saturday morning uh, for a cuppa and a chat, and then from 8 o'clock through to 9 o'clock there'll be a time of prayer. Uh, this is something we've just been doing for the last uh, year or two in this form, and I, I know a lot of women have said it's so good just to get to the pray and uh, to have the rest of the day to get on uh, with other things. But that's a, that's a special time uh, for women to look forward to. Uh, later in the month, and this is a date for your diary, on a Saturday morning, the last Saturday of the month, October 28, uh, we'll be doing the, uh, the Serve Manly project. Uh, so there's plenty of, plenty of notice to, to be prepared to roll up your sleeves that Saturday morning at a working bee at Manly Village uh, School. The other thing uh, just to mention is that in November, this is some weeks away now, but November 8, Wednesday night, we've got the celebration dinner, uh, not to be missed, and more details to come on that one, but November 8, uh, the celebration dinner. But in terms of church news, there's some news to report, and uh, you may be aware that a small delegation of um, of folks from St Matthew's uh, we're up in the Northern Territory for a week or so just recently, alongside our mission partner, Naomi Ireland, who formerly was a children's minister here, is now the children's ministry officer, I think that, that's what you call it, in the Northern Territory with Bush, Bush Church Aid. So Peter Kerr from our staff team, together with Jess Van Loon uh, and uh, Evan, Evan um, Thorpe from our evening congregation, uh, joined Naomi in a training uh, conference uh, for children's ministry leaders. Anyway, enough from me. I will say, I, I'm so sorry about this for those of you who are online, for child protection uh, reasons. We're not, not able to show you the, the images uh, that appear in this report, but you'll still be able to hear. Uh, but uh, listen and enjoy.
I'm just loving the way that uh, our partnership with Naomi and the ministry that she's doing uh, amongst Indigenous people for the way that partnership is developing and uh, that time to have uh, some members of St Matt's alongside her in the ministry that she's been doing can only strengthen that partnership. Uh, we're going to turn to the Lord in prayer now, uh, in particular, uh, and the Archbishop has asked us to pray in this way uh, as we begin. Uh, we'll be praying for, uh, around the referendum as well as some other matters. The gracious Lord, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, we pray for our nation today. Lamenting the damage done to the original inhabitants of this land since European settlement, including the loss of life, land and language. We recognise sins committed and harm done we praise you uh, that through these decades, through these centuries, you have built your church among the first peoples of this land, and we, we rejoice to be brothers and sisters in Christ with them. It's such a joy to see uh, Naomi and Pete and Jess and Evan uh, alongside brothers and sisters in the Northern Territory. And we know this is taking place right across our country. Hear our prayer as we together Consider the referendum on recognition and the voice to Parliament. Preserve us all in love, respect and mutual service. Give us a spirit of wisdom and discernment as we cast our votes this week. And Father, whatever is decided, we beg you for clear and lasting progress in addressing inequality and closing the gap for First Nations peoples. We pray that you'll bless our nation 
that as the gospel is proclaimed, we may be reconciled to you and to each other through him who died for all, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. The focus of our prayers is going to shift to young people more locally as we consider the opportunities of scripture teaching and also our young HSC students. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the open door there is to strengthening the faith of students in local schools, uh, in particular Balgala Boys High, uh, McKellar Girls High and Manly Selective High School, and for the work of Anchor RE and uh, scripture teachers who are supported there. We thank you for the ongoing support of principals and of staff and pray that that will continue to grow and develop. And specifically, we pray, as, as requested by Anka Ari, for the work of Kieran Kolbelke at Balgala Boys, in particular for stronger links to be built between SRE classes, uh, rowing squads and local youth groups. And also at McKellar Girls, we thank you for the lunchtime groups that take place there and we pray that they continue to grow this term. And we pray that a new group will be launched at, at Manly Selective. Lord, through all of this, we pray that many students will understand and embrace the Christian worldview that comes, comes about as a result of the coming of the Lord Jesus into our world. And Lord, it's, it's uh, that time of year and that time of their lives when numbers of young people here from St Matthew's and their friends are facing the challenging time of HSC exams. Uh, there are 23 uh, young people here at St Matthew's, whether as families or as those who join in the youth ministry. And so we want to lift up before you Annabelle, Ella, Emma, Imogen, Jemima, Kaylee, Kirsten, Libby, Maya, Nia, Nina, Sarah, Sienna, Baxter, Caleb, Elliot, Harry, James, John, Josh, Matthew, Max and Mitchell. Lord, it's so lovely to have such a long list of names there and we pray for each of them uh, as exams begin this Wednesday that they'll do their best to their ability and that they'll keep finding strength from you and living for you both through this challenging time ahead over the next few weeks but also into the year ahead. And Lord, as we prepare uh, shortly to hear your word read and preached, uh, we ask that you give us ears to hear minds to understand, and hearts to love and obey you. Amen. Well, friends, I'll ask you to stand as we sing what will be our collection hymn, Take Up Your Cross. Please stand and sing.
chapter 9, and it's verses 51 to 62, and you can find them on page 1039 in the Church Bibles, 1039, Luke 9, 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him but the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John heard this they asked Lord do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Michael, the um, clicker doesn't seem to be clicking. There we go. Uh, let me start with a question. Who inspires you as a Christian? Who is someone who you learn from and look up to as you think about following the Lord Jesus in this world? And I ask that question because uh, we all need to have models, I think, in the Christian faith that we can follow. And there's a classic verse on this. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And Paul says these words, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And there's a number of things you could say about that. But one thing that you absolutely learn is that we learn the Christian faith from others and we're inspired by others in the Christian faith who are following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, I want us to learn from and be inspired by the Indigenous voices that I hear in this country for the gospel. Uh, my association with Neville Naden and his Indigenous brothers and sisters in the country has left me inspired by the way they seek to follow Christ and proclaim him in this country. Uh, and the Brownlee family who will be here are just a wonderful example of that. Uh, it's mum and dad and the two boys. And the Indigenous people I meet, they are typically incredibly talented and incredibly passionate about the gospel. And that's absolutely the case with the Brownleys who are going to be here uh, very shortly. And it's inspiring. And we can absolutely learn from them. And as I thought about the inspiration I've received from them, the passage that came to mind is the one we've just had read. It's Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. And the context for this passage that we're going to have a look at, if you've got your Bibles there, do get them open. I've got some of the key verses on the screen. But this passage is the turning point in Luke's gospel. Up until Luke 9, 51, what you see is uh, the entrance of the Lord Jesus into history. Uh, with Luke's gospel, you've got the most detailed of the infancy narratives. Uh, there are prophetic voices that speak about his coming as the one who will be the saviour of Israel and the promised Messiah. Uh, there's historical stuff in relationship to his ancestry. And then you have his miracles, his teaching uh, that demonstrate his authority as the one who came from God and who is God's son. And then you come to this passage. And what we see in this passage is that the number one priority of Jesus, uh, we see the number one challenge of Jesus and the number one instruction to the disciples by Jesus. And I want to look at those three things before we learn from some of the stories that I've had the opportunity and privilege of hearing about in Indigenous ministry. But firstly, the number one priority of Jesus. And you see it there at the very beginning of the reading um, in verse 51. And we read these words, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And it's an interesting turning point, this verse. Uh, he's been doing his ministry and for all intensive purposes as the reader, you would think he's going to continue doing his ministry, but something changes. And the word there, resolutely, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, is literally two words in the original language. 
And you could translate it literally is that he set his face steadfastly to Jerusalem. And there's this sense of which a homing beacon has gone off inside of his person and he knows that what he has to do now is head back to headquarters, to Jerusalem, the great city of God. And Jesus knew that he had to go there for the fulfilment of his mission, which was to suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders before being killed by the Romans. And he would do that to die on a cross for the sins of the world. This was the number one priority he had. Up until this point, his ministry has been to establish two things. The fact that A, the kingdom has now entered history, the kingdom of God, and B, he is the promised king of God's people. But what he must do to fully bring the kingdom in is, as the king, die for the sins of the world. And so as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, i.e., and we hear the, the, over, uh, the echoes of the resurrection and the ascension, he has to do what is necessary, which is to die on the cross. And so he resolutely sets out to Jerusalem. He sets his face to the city. We then read this. As he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village... Sorry, and he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. And it's worth noting that as he is up in Galilee, which is in the north of the country, to get to Jerusalem, the quickest way was through Samaria. Now, they were not well regarded by the Jewish people. Uh, they were the outcasts, and typically a faithful Jew would walk around the Samarian precinct to get to Jerusalem. But because of the urgency and the focus of the Lord Jesus, he goes straight through and there's a great sense of which he is in a hurry. And we read in verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. In other words, it wasn't like his normal ministry where he had been actually very positive towards Samaritans, unlike his Jewish brothers and sisters, and typically had stopped and ministered to them. Jesus, rather, is just walking through the country on a mission, heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them uh, because of this adverse reaction against the Lord Jesus? And you just think, Jesus is shaking his head like, seriously, guys, what are you thinking? I'm about to go and die for them. <laughs> we don't want to send fire down on them. So Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. And so we don't know what the preparations were that the disciples had to do. Maybe it was just to find lodging for the night. But you see this adverse reaction. And then as they head off to another village, there is an engagement with would-be disciples. Now, we're not sure who they are. But there's three of them who engage in discussion with Jesus around the topic of what does it mean to follow him. And keep in mind, it's a discussion that's within the context of him heading to Jerusalem to die. So if the number one priority of Jesus uh, was to go and die for the sins of the world, what we now see is the number one challenge 
for would-be followers of the Lord Jesus, those who would want to be his disciples. And three times, with three different uh, discussions and sayings, Jesus lays down the challenge about what it means to follow him. Let's have a look at the first one, verse 58. I'll read from verse 57. As they're walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, it's not the most friendly response, is it? (laughs) And Jesus obviously sees something beyond the mere words which seem to be positive. And he can see that maybe this is a fair-weather traveller. Because what he says to the man is, effectively, I'm a homeless guy. Foxes have birds... Uh, foxes have holes, birds have homes, but he doesn't. And the challenge he lays down for this first would-be disciple is that if you want to follow me, that invo- it involves giving up your worldly and materialistic ideals. Because they would be following someone who lived as a rejected Messiah and who literally had no home. And it means that if we are to follow in his footsteps, we have to trust God and know that our true home is not this world. And we are to walk on a journey with him to heaven, which is where he was headed. Well, that's the first challenge. It is to identify with the one who was heading to heaven and say that is our home and the material worldly things of this world are not what we will attach ourselves to perspective follower number two he said to another man follow me so the first one has spoken to jesus the second one is invited by jesus follow me but he replied lord let me first go and bury my father now that seems a very reasonable request but listen to what jesus said because it's very stark jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, to this second man, he gives what appears to be a reasonable excuse for any compassionate person to acquiesce to. Surely Jesus will say, okay, (laughs) go and let uh, bury your father. But that's not the response. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Why does he say that? Now, it's worth noting that in the Old Testament law, an unburied body was a mark of disgrace and the burial of one's own father or mother was an important part of honoring them in accordance with the old testament law but what is not clear from the text is whether the father that is spoken of is dead or near death it's possible that this would-be disciple is asking to take care of his parents into their old age, which was an important part of honouring them in accordance with the law. And so what he was saying to Jesus was that, well, after they've gone, I'll come and follow you. Now, there's a Middle Eastern scholar who is a very learned man about um, what it means to live and minister in Jesus' day. Uh, His name is Kenneth Bailey. He lived uh, in the Middle Eastern region for 40 years, researching Middle Eastern culture and writes on the Gospels. And I'm going to read to you what he says. Bury my father really means to stay at home until his father is dead and buried. If a son asks permission to leave home prior to the father's death, 
the father is likely to interpret that as a desire that the father would die. So what is striking is to this man Jesus says no. There's actually something more urgent to do and it's following me. And so the phrase that the dead bury the dead seems to indicate that Jesus was speaking in some way in a metaphorical or figurative term. And what he's saying is there is a much higher priority now than family. It is to follow me at whatever cost. It is to be unconditional. There is an urgency. Don't let anything stop you following me and proclaiming the kingdom is what we learn from this second interaction. Now there's always a third one isn't there lining up to have a swing. (laughs) You feel sorry for this guy. Still another set we see in verse 61. He says I'll follow you Lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So it's not that he wants to bury his father and look after, it's just, can I just say goodbye? And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. There's always that extra guy who was a sucker for punishment. And it was no different in Jesus' day. And the third man bravely says to Jesus, he's willing to follow him. Presumably he has heard Jesus rebuke the first two men who have approached him and was feeling somewhat self-confident. I'm your guide, Jesus. And Jesus' response is again sharp. And he uses a metaphor from farming now and tells them, think about the farmer plowing the field. How do they do it? Well, you know how they do it. They never look back. Because if you're plowing, you have to look straight ahead. And you've got to keep your eyes fixed straight ahead so that you plow in line and you don't go off and Jesus says it has to be the same with his disciples if we are to follow him we are to look straight ahead and not back as we seek to serve the Lord and this is the challenge of Jesus to would-be disciples we're to see heaven as our home nothing is to get in the way of following us following him here on earth and we are to look straight ahead and not look back that's the unconditional nature that Jesus calls us to as his followers don't let anything stop you from following me and proclaiming the kingdom I've just got to turn my page there we go And so if the number one priority of the Lord Jesus was to go and die for our sins and for the sins of the world, and the number one challenge is to give up all for the kingdom as one of his disciples, the number one instruction of Jesus is seen there in two of the interactions, verse 60 and verse 62. I've got them on the screen. In verse 60, he says, describing disciples, we are those who go and proclaim the kingdom. And it's interesting, it's not just to, if I can say, the apostles or the 12 disciples, he says this word, it is to all disciples. We're all caught up in and involved in the proclamation of the gospel to the kingdom. And secondly, in verse 62, disciples are those who make themselves fit for service in the kingdom. We learn what it means to follow him and with great joy we do that. 
We serve in the kingdom and we seek to proclaim the message of the kingdom. This is what discipleship involves. And I've picked this passage because I think in my experience here in Australia, those who have most epitomised this in the most wonderful way have been our Indigenous brothers and sisters that I've had the privilege of getting to know. And it's been incredibly inspiring to meet them and to experience their passion to have their faces set to heaven, to give up whatever is needed so that the gospel will go out to their brothers and sisters in this country. And the one thing I will say about the voice to parliament is that when I listen to and talk to my Indigenous brothers, what is of most concern to them is the voice of the gospel, not the voice to parliament. Though they think it, think it may do some good, what drives them and what captures their hearts continually and to this day is to see the gospel go out so that their people are one for Christ. And I want to illustrate that in three different ways, with three different stories. Um, the first is uh, with Dennis and Valda Taylor. Now, they were here in July, if you remember. And I am just inspired by them because Dennis um, is at age 62. And he and Valda have been married for many years. They're from Western Australia. They've also been in Melbourne. Uh, amongst other things, he was a chaplain to the AFL Indigenous Players. Uh, they have led churches. Uh, he's with the Aboriginal Evangelical Fellowship. He's currently the principal of a small Bible college uh, to train Indigenous people over in Perth. But they've realised that for many of them, the journey from, if I can say, the outer areas uh, of Australia to major cities is actually very difficult culturally. And so they're trying to bridge that gap in their senior years by going to where the people are. And they've had invitations up in the top end from Kimberley and other areas around there. Dennis is 62. And I couldn't help but think that at that age, for many of us here in Manly, uh, when we think about travelling and retiring, it's not to go on a mission trip. It is overseas. It is to the exotic places in the country. But not Dennis and Valda. In basically the beginning of their retirement, they're saying what we want to do is hop in a caravan and go to the top end and live in that caravan for a couple of months so that we can go and bring the gospel to our people. And it is inspiring to see. It's why I was so happy to encourage us as a church to be a part of raising the money for it. And he bought the caravan. Uh, it was very funny. He, said, uh, he rang me and said, I found one. Can I get the money tomorrow, Bruce? I <laughs> thought he doesn't know how things work here. But anyway, thankfully the pay run just happened to be that night and we got it out the door and they uh, got it bought on the Wednesday. And I'm so inspired to see how they want to reach their people in his senior years. Let me tell you about a second Indigenous leader and evangelist. His name is David Unipan. You might be familiar with his face. He was born in 1872. His father, James, was the first adult Aboriginal Christian at the Point Maclay Mission in South Australia, near the mouth of the Murray River. And it was in his household that David was raised. In Australia, you probably know his face best because, guess where it appears? $50 bill. 
That's how he's best known. Growing up, David was a prodigious reader as a child. He grew up to be a remarkably intelligent and learned man with wide academic interests. Self-educated, a natural scientist, he patented many scientific and technical inventions. He also read the classics and could quote huge slabs of Bunyan and Milton. Newspapers of the day dubbed him the black genius and Australia's Leonardo. He claims to have invented perpetual motion and had the patent for it, but never got to put it out to the world. But like his father, David was also a very, very keen Christian. He had an immense knowledge of the Bible and knew huge sections of it off by heart. Now, David became quite famous in his time and was regularly sought after in the country as a speaker in the southern states. He was also a political activist in his own eccentric way, becoming a kind of unofficial spokesperson for what he termed Aboriginal advancement. But with all his talents and interests, what is not widely known by secular Australia, who have written up his story and it's typically omitted, is that David, do you know what he loved doing best? Preaching the gospel. He was an evangelist. He was a Christian all his life. And David Unipin was someone who listened to the word of God, who let it soak deeply into his soul and allowed that word to transform him so that he took up his cross and followed the Lord Jesus and he bore great fruit in the gospel through his life. He became a vigorous outgoing preacher and they say he modeled himself on the forceful bible-based style of the missionary preachers who had influenced him with aboriginal people he preached in the nukadjiri language but elsewhere he preached in english with sermons full of biblical allusions in a christian sense david's greatest contribution was in his old age because he kept going right till the end the weeds of life and the devil's distractions never took hold of him. By the time he was about 80, younger Aboriginal people were campaigning for Aboriginal rights in the country. And he was less courted by the influential and the newspapers. So guess what he did at the age of 80? He dedicated his final years to evangelism and he travelled widely on foot to Adelaide and the country towns of South Australia, wandering round, preaching the gospel. Till the end of his days. I'm inspired by him. There was no retirement for David Unipin. His home was in heaven. His face was set forward. And he just kept going, preaching the gospel. What a great servant in the kingdom. But lastly, let me say a few words that Peter has written to me about the women he met up in the Northern Territory. Because Peter was inspired by them, as I have been by the ones I have met. Peter said to me one of the highlights of their trip to Darwin was listening to the local women teach the Bible and speak of their love for Jesus for reasons uh, circumstantial. None of the men were able to come this time. They have in other conferences. And so they just had the aunties there, which is how they're described. 
And amidst the many challenges these women are facing, they are deeply passionate to share the love of Jesus with their people in their communities, which is why many of them travelled over 12 hours on a bus to attend the Bible training and then return for 12 hours on the bus back to their communities. And we saw that on the video. And Peter had a wonderful conversation with one of the aunties who shared with him that her grandmother first told her about Jesus when she was a little girl. They'd sat together in the bush and looked up at the night sky and her grandmother told her all about the God who made her and loved her. And since that night, she has held on to that love and now her legacy is similar to that of her late grandmother. She lives to share Jesus in the top end and regularly travels with the other women to remote communities all over the region to speak about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter said to her, you are an evangelist. And apparently Pete said, she just smiled. And her story is not dissimilar to the many other women who go about quietly doing the business of the Lord in the top end. Often travelling long distances to remote communities to share about the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the Indigenous voice of the Gospel. It is alive and well as our Indigenous brothers and sisters are taking up the cross and following Jesus with heaven as their home and they are proclaiming the message of the kingdom that there is a God who loves them and has sent their son to die for them and that they can be friends with God. Just come to him and trust him with your life and start to follow. And may we learn from them and be inspired by them to do the same. Because in the words of Jesus, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. May those words challenge us and may the example of our indigenous brothers and sisters inspire us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the incredible inspiration our indigenous brothers and sisters are in the way they share the gospel. May we hear Jesus' words and know that heaven is our home, that we are to have as the number one priority the service of you in this world and the proclamation of the message about Jesus. And may we not turn back, but with a focus, serve you and proclaim you as opportunity comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Andrew.